K-A-L-W. And this is when they tell you, man, you got HIV. And when you hear that, the breath gets taken out of you for a second. You're like, nah, you're, you're wrong. An unexpected diagnosis in prison can make someone feel even more isolated. People just think we're just the worst people to ever walk the face of the planet. And we're incapable of being redeemed. But some people at San Quentin find support on the baseball diamond. That won't sound corny, it saved my life, but it, the, the fun aspect of what keeps me sane because we get to escape from reality two to three hours a day from being in prison. Stigma and Sports. It's a new episode of Uncuffed. I'm Hanat Baba, and this is Cross Currents. Today, we bring you the latest episode from the new season of Uncuffed. People in prisons are no strangers to stigmas and stereotypes. The outside world can often perpetuate ideas of who is incarcerated that have very little to do with reality. But stigmas exist within the prison environment, too. Today, on the newest episode of Uncuffed, we'll hear about an HIV diagnosis that changed a baseball player's life and the unlikely support he found in his team. Welcome back to another episode of Uncuffed. I'm Greg Eskridge, and of course, I'm coming to you from the San Quentin side of the program. Down in the studio today with some amazing people. So go ahead and introduce yourself, you guys. This is Brian Acey. How you guys doing? Doing well, Brian. I'm Anthony Carvalho. I'm right next to you, right with you. And I'm Juan Haynes. Good to be with you guys. All right, I'm glad you guys are here today to share some light on, a, on some topics today. But um, before we even jump into the order of business today, I got a question I want to throw out there to you guys. So do any of you play sports? Oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Of course we do. It's a got prerequisite to. to do this. Got it. In what sport? All sports for me. What do you mean all sports? I play all sports. All sports. I, I, I have, have not seen you in the soccer basketball field. either, man. I have I not seen you, you in the soccer field. Because <laughs> you wasn't out there that day. Oh, you played? <laughs> <laughs> Did you play? I do everything. Handball? Everything. Uh, yes. Wow. So what about you, Juan? What's your sport? I, I love playing basketball, man. I get out there with the youngsters. So every weekend I can. You guys know me. I, and and I, and we do know you, Juan. Know Juan. So Juan, what are you about? How which how how do you Juan? You look you look young, but I know I know you have a little seasoning I, I, on I'm, you. I'm on the court. I say, don't let Grandpa take you to the hole. I'm 66. <laughs> 66. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I'm telling you, man, Juan runs around the man. basketball oh. court like he's 19 years old. Like a hummingbird, it's just, it's <laughs> just flying all over the court. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So, so, so we're in a unique environment, man. San Quentin, we definitely have an opportunity to play sports here like all year round. We have amazing basketball program, baseball, football, track and field, tennis. Like we have so much here to offer in yeah. this from in, in, in the aspects of sports. So I guess I want to ask you guys a question. So besides the physical aspect of sports, what do you get out of sports, like emotionally, uh, mentally? Like, do you get anything out of sports from that? Yeah, this is Brian. Um, what I get out of sports is it's my release. It's my outlet. Um, 
Uh, anytime I'm feeling real stressed out, the first thing I do is go play some basketball. Hmm. So for me, sports is my release for all my stress, or you know, just just my release and to have fun as well. Yeah, a lot of fun. It's it's um, literally. That won't sound corny. It saved my life, but it, the the fun aspect of what keeps me sane because we get to escape from reality two to three hours a day from being in prison. So I like playing basketball on the weekends, and you know, uh, it's just kicking it with the fellas. You know, I, if if I miss a couple weekends, you know, one of the youngsters might ask, "Hey, Juan, you playing this weekend?" Or just that whole idea of folks like playing with you, you know, and so. Um, and it's fun. I mean, you never, you, you, in life, you never stop having fun. Exactly. And so sports has always been an opportunity for me to have fun. And watching, um, like, I, I enjoy watching uh, the guys play sports, too. Yeah. You know, because it's always, you know, the guys that I know, uh, seeing them succeed at something that's challenging. Because a lot of times it takes that hand-eye coordination, that, that skill to be able to do these things. And I just like watching people succeed, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, th I think I, what I get out of sports, what I get out of playing basketball, it's interesting because it's, I think it's, it feeds my ego, you know, at 50, <laughs> it still feels yep. good to yep. go out there yes. and whoop on a little young 20-year-old, yep. you know. just It just makes <laughs> me feel like, like I still got it. Yeah, I'd be seeing your face when yeah. you snatch that rebound. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like showing them up. Because I'm telling you, when I was 20, yeah. there was not going to be a 50-year-old man going to beat me in anything. Uh -huh. No <laughs> way. Period, point. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, being on the team, it, it just becomes more and more like a family every day. And we get to meet some unique individuals. And, and the one that stood out the most these past couple of years was Everett Wiley. Just amazing what he did. And that's the guy you actually did a story on. Yes, Jay. He, he, his courage and everything he stands for taught all of us something, not only on the baseball field, but throughout San Quentin. I'm ready to hear it. Me too. All right, let's listen. Let's do it. I'll never forget getting in on the bus, right? You're coming in and you see the Field of Dreams sign. Then you see a mound. I'm like, they got a pitching mound. And they got a home run fences with barbed wire and circular wire. Oh, can't get better than this. Let's see if I can get in there. So I'm a San Quentin A. I'm like, all right. I'm telling my family, they're like, you're playing hardball in prison. I'm like, yes. Not only am I playing hardball, but I'm starting to go to church. Everything's going great, I'm putting God above everything else. And when I first got here, you know how they put you in quarantine? They give me this blood test, right? And this is when they tell you, man, you got HIV. And when you hear that, the breath gets taken out of you for a second. You're like, nah, you're you're wrong. You know, I don't I don't use needles, and there's certain other ways, and I'm done for. You know, I don't partake in that. It kind of shakes you. So I wanted another blood test. I'm like, you're tripping. <laughs> yeah. So she's like, well, honey, your T cells are pretty low. She's like, it's close. It's catchable though. We caught it in time. It becomes AIDS and that's not curable. You cannot come back from AIDS. You will die. They told me you're going to die a bad death. And that scared the Jesus out of me. Honestly, I was a very unfaithful dog. Anything and anyone and any woman who gave me an eye, I was trying. I think with that many sexual relationships, there's consequences. I was never being safe. I was like, what can I do? Fix this now, right? 
And they're like, man, it's a real blessing to be in jail where they give you free medical care, you know? So when I first found out, I knew it was gonna be a difficult phone call to my parents. Um, telling your family over a phone, I was kind of uh, distraught. I didn't, I didn't understand if it was really happening or not. I didn't truly believe that I had it. I knew it was gonna be tough to tell my father because I'm already like the bottom of the bottom for me. And being able to tell him that I have HIV and I, at that time I had no idea what having HIV meant. So I thought maybe this is a life sentence, you know, it hurt, but having uh, my mom tell me, you're gonna be all right, just get the medical attention while you can, you know, and just put your faith in God and God will take care of it. Yeah, it was a very tough decision to have to tell my parents. So it was a couple months after I was feeling kind of down, uh, I walked up to Coach Will, let him know my situation. Came up to him and I was like, bro, I don't know how to tell you this, but I've been suffering from HIV lately and, um, man. And he's like, yeah, and he just listened, man. And he's like, you know, I'm there whenever you need me, man. You always feel free to pull me aside. And just him lending that ear, that meant a lot. Honestly, by doing that, it kind of, I realized it's a lot easier to tell people than I thought it was going to be. So my first season here at San Quentin, after I went through and I told a couple of my boys, basically after I felt more comfortable, I told everybody on the team, I thought I went from one person to one person, kind of pulled them aside just so they didn't feel like I, they were getting played for some sort of reason because of the stereotypes that comes with HIV. So I pull everybody aside, tell them the situation, tell them the breakdown. And I thought that was that. Well, the second season comes up, we have a good tryout. We have a whole bunch of new faces on the team. And the situation gets brought to my attention that people are kind of bad-mouthing me behind my back. And I'm like, oh man. And it kind of just shook me. Thought they were all my boys, thought they were my family. And I, I couldn't believe that they would feel like I was playing them for some reason with my health. And we're just a baseball team, man. So I, I wasn't expecting that at all kind of sidelined me. I did not think about quitting when this whole situation came around. Um, no way. <laughs> Can't get me to quit this game, man. I was bummed out that some of the guys I thought were my family kind of were kind of talking behind my back about my health, but I had no plan on, no intention on quitting. During this situation uh, with uh, the back forth going about somebody not feeling I should be put on the team. So our shortstop, uh, Carrington, he's our team captain. We call him C and pulled everybody around the mound and we said, we've got to have a discussion about uh, something very important. And when he mentioned what it was uh, about my health, um, yeah, I was pretty tense. Uh, I didn't know how people were going to take it. I didn't know if people were just going to walk away from the team on the spot. It went pretty well. He said, uh, we're not going to kick a man when he's down. Um, we got, we're going to have his back no matter what. So if you go and be here, you guys got to get going. But surprisingly enough, the new players, they were more supportive than anybody at the time too, because they were barely hearing this news for the first time. But yeah, it was a pretty, I would say pretty uh, tense moment for just a few seconds. But after C laid out the guidelines that Wiley's here to stay, um, it just lightened the mood and we got back to practice. Since the meeting, our season has been really good. Uh, We've had our ups and downs, but it's a solid baseball team. It's, a, uh, it's been a very privileged uh, thing to be a part of this team here. So friends can become family and they got your back, you know, and certain people, when you make those certain relationships, they were all there for me. I think uh, my actions taught men that you just got to be okay with yourself and you got to be comfortable with who you are and what you're going through and just own it. And when you do that, anything's possible. 
we all got to understand that what we're doing can affect us. Just be safe. Really be safe when you're making these decisions. One day you could get a blood test that changed your life, you know? That was powerful. Yeah. yeah. Powerful story. Very powerful. Yeah. You know, I know uh, Wiley had to go through a lot, you know, uh, being here at San Quentin and then, you know, that first season being so kind of mellow and then that, you know, I, I can imagine what he was going through, um, wanting to deal with that particular situation, you know, having HIV and then people wanting to reject him. For me, you know, you just think about the stigma that's surrounding uh, HIV and just, especially being inside of a prison. Right. Because there are so many judgments inside of a prison. Like you're judged based on everything inside a prison. And so for him to come in, to carry his truth around, and then feel so vulnerable and just so open to ridicule, man, it's, you know, it, it, it's extremely powerful to hear him reach to a place where he was able to talk about. What about you guys? Have there any been any stigmas that you guys have carried around and finally, like, let go of? Yeah, listening to that story, you know, I kind of, kind of reflect on a stigma that I had, um, you know, since I've been incarcerated because, you know, Folks have their judgments, and I'm I'm a human being. I, I came in before a lot of uh, introspection, and I had these stigmas, and specifically against gang members. I had a, a friend who had a friend who was a gang member, and I would never go around him as long as that gang member was there. So have you thought about why did you feel that way about him without even knowing him? Because, like— um, when I grew up, like in the neighborhood, the gang members and stuff like that, they were just, you know, they were never, they weren't doing anything community-based. They weren't doing anything good. Okay. It was always bad. And in my opinion, it was always bad. You know, either selling drugs, breaking into somebody's house, uh, harassing people at school or something like that. It was never a good thing. And so um, I never liked people who were in gangs, period. Yeah. Did, did you ever meet the guy? Did you ever go talk to him and change yeah, that? Yeah, opinion? yeah, yeah, yeah. My friend, you know, like really encouraged me to just to talk to the guy. What yeah. happened? I found out his story and he had a really, you know, he was he was actually a refugee at one point in his life. Okay. And mm -hmm. he had been through a lot of trauma. And so um, just from what I found out was the fact that he was hanging around my other friend, he was kind of like just pulling him into changing its life. Okay. And the guy ended up, you know, really changing his life. And, uh, you know, so I was like, you know, it, it made me question my um, prejudices. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Pigeonholing somebody always in the same, uh, yeah. the same bucket. Yeah. I think it's easy to, to pass judgment on someone. It's interesting how, how you can just look at someone and make a judgment on them without even necessarily knowing their story. Mm -hmm. And you put a lot of energy into disliking this yeah. person. Yeah. And don't and, even know. And don't even right. know this yeah. person. Yeah. But right. then when you get to know this person and you hear struggle, you might hear similarities. Right. right. And then next thing you know, now it's this empathy, right. this understanding, right. this compassion that you feel for a person. And I know for me, when I've held on to stigmas or stereotypes of judgments about people, I've always had the feeling of guilt. Yeah. Like, damn, like, I, 
yeah. walked around and <laughs> all, disliked wow. this yeah. person all this yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This what, is a good dude. He had a rougher <laughs> life than I did. Yeah. You know I mean? And that's part yeah. of it, G. You know, a lot of it, the stigmas we look at other people are reflection back at us. Back at yourself. You yeah. know, and, and, and that's what I've learned through the years. Um, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, I kind of had a, I felt that way about HIV when it first came out too. Mm -hmm. It was kind of new and it was unknown. And I thought that people that had HIV was like, like monsters or something. Yeah. You know, so I held a stigma against people that I didn't even know. Yeah. So uh, how, how'd that change for you, Brian? So that changed for me. Um, I had a job at a hospice house, right? I worked at a hospice house and um, I cut hair. I'm a barber. And I would cut the, um, the guy's hair and talk to him. And every morning I would go in and come into the, to work and they look forward to seeing me. Yeah. Right. Until that time I came in and one of the guys had passed away. Yeah. And then I really understood that that wasn't a job for me because I couldn't handle that. Yeah. So after that point, I started looking at it in a different light. I know for me, one of the things that um, that I've always been embarrassed about was when I was young and I was homeless and people would always discriminate against me because of me being homeless. And, and, and even if they didn't discriminate against me, I was so ashamed of being homeless that I, I perceived people, uh, well, I actually thought people were actually looking down on me because of that. So is there anything that any of you have felt ashamed for or, or felt stigmatized for? Yeah, well, um, for me, just being in prison, you know, um, I come from a large family, right? And so when I came to prison, um, and it, it, it isn't like my family left me alone for no good reason. It was my second time coming. So they were like, man, this dude must really love coming here. You know, that's, that's, that's uh, <laughs> literally the way that my family took it. And they just pretty much uh, left me alone for 25 years, right? Hmm. But ironically, what, switched that my family's perception about me is they actually started talking to me when we got the tablets and I was able to call and like I have regular conversations with my family now and they're getting to know who I am as a person right and so um there's a little bit there's a little bit more understanding you know um because uh, a couple of decades kind of changes a person you know so I would hope so yeah, so mines, I don't know if it's a stigma, but um, for me, for my shameful stuff come up is me being illiterate and can't read. And that always show up for me. Um, I, I think people talk about me as something like that for me not being able to read. But um, yeah, that's my stigma. How did you take on that challenge? Well, so that's that's why I go to school, right? Um, I still have challenges reading, but um, I can understand the things that I read. And if it's something that I don't know, I know how to look it up. One of the times for me, I remember having a challenge reading in class. Um, one of the teachers um, would call my name to read, and I would just act out, right? Um, I can't remember the teacher's name, um, but I can remember clowning in class just so that um, I wouldn't be put on the spot. So this is a good example, right? We'd be yeah. in class and we sitting around the tables right. and each person take a turn. Right. And right when I know it's coming up to my turn before it get to the second person, 
I would do something just to get out of it. So, yeah. <laughs> you sound, you, sound, you <laughs> kind of sound like you got a bathroom sound. pass or something. Something, huh? anything. Yeah. Hey, I can relate to that so much, Brian. Yeah. Man, you know, you know, it's funny because as though, as you're talking, I could just see a little boy. Oh, you can't imagine a little yeah, boy backing out. I yeah. could just picture a little boy yeah. running out of classrooms. I remember one time in class. A teacher asked me to come up to the chalkboard and spell a word, right? Yeah. And it felt like I was in the middle of the classroom. It felt like it took me an hour <laughs> to walk up there to the chalkboard because I was so nervous. And I tried to do the exact same thing. I tried to clown my way out of it. Yeah. And the Didn't teacher work. wasn't having it. Yeah. And I got up to the chalkboard and I spelled the word wrong. And everybody started oh, laughing. laughing. Oh, yeah. I ran out of class, ran out of the classroom, <laughs> and I made and I promised myself never I'll never go yeah. back in school again. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's, That's so funny what peer pressure does to us, you know. Yeah. It's really amazing. Yeah. Lack that lacking that self-confidence. Yep. So we're talking about stigmas, right? And so so one of the things I do here in San Quentin is we do the tours, right? And we we bring in people from all over the world, students. Uh, teachers, DAs, judges, whatever the case might be, right? And some of the things that they ask us, like they even ask us questions about what happens if what happens if you drop a bar of soap inside of the shower? Do people still <laughs> oh, carry, do people put knives inside, hide knives inside their butts? Like all these different yeah. like stigmas that they place on prisoners yeah. and yeah. half of them aren't true All from the movie but things, yeah. people still believe ask that. these questions people yeah. still believe it so what about you guys do you guys still do you think there's still stigmas that people have about us as uh, incarcerated people yeah so um I, I still my family still deals with this right so like i'll be talking to one of my brothers right and they think san quentin is so dangerous and I'm yeah. always trying to explain to them, like, okay, so I'm sitting in this cell talking to uh, my brother, right? And somebody comes in and I go, oh, uh, one of my buddies just walked in the cell, right? I, I, I literally told my brother that. And he goes, oh, are you all right? <laughs> no, no, I just, yeah. I just want to get the guy a sandwich, you know, yeah. or something yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. So um, my family still, I, I got to explain to them, like, what programs are, rehabilitation yeah. is, and everything like that, you know, like, some of the roles that we play here as mentors. And they're really astonished over, like, what really happens inside a prison, you know. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're, they're letting go some of these stigmas or these preconceived ideas that they have about what prison actually is, you know, so. I think that's definitely one of the biggest stigmas about prisons that I find today is just people, people just think we're just uh, the worst people that ever walked the face of the planet. And we're incapable of being redeemed. Right. Like we will never change. And that's totally false. That's that's just not the human nature. We are not what the worst thing that we've ever done. So it's easy, you guys, to talk about the stigma in prison and, and, and getting tabbed while we're in prison. But Brian, you're going you're going home. Yeah. You're going home. Yeah, I'm going what home. challenges do you think you're gonna have when you go outside? Well, I don't know. It's going to be a lot of challenges out there. And it's going to be a lot of stigma with me just um, being released coming from prison. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what to face out there. I haven't been out there for 25 years. So I can just imagine what it's going to be like um, having to tell uh, employers um, that I've been to prison. Yes. How, how do you think people are going to perceive you coming fresh from San Quentin State Prison? 
I don't know how they're going to perceive me. I, don't, I think if once they look past and get to know who I am, just like we discovered the things that um, that we had stigmas about um, people, um, but once we got to know them, those stigmas was gone. I think the wine was talking about how once he got to meet the guy and talk to the guy, the, the gang member, how once you once you got to know him, then the stigma left. It wasn't anything like you thought it was. Yeah, uh, yeah, Brian. Um, you know, dealing with the stigmas like leaving prison. You know, just knowing that that's coming, I can I, I can imagine. Um, and then hearing this story from uh, about Wiley. You know, having that support network. Um, I see a lot of similarities in there. You give a good, strong support network. Wiley had that baseball team. You know, there's similarity, a lot of similarities there. And there's definitely been times in, in, in my life, my incarceration, that support from people have gotten me through. Yeah, that's what makes a difference. And then that's the strength we all live by on the baseball team. Just when Wiley's going home, about the same time you are. Uh -huh. And if we can just, if we can just, gravitate towards the strength that he displayed reaching out to Coach Will and to other members of the team, it really helps destroy stigmas. So you're saying the moral of the story is to ask for help when you need it? Ask for help and be candid too. Be yep. be, be, be honest. Be transparent. Yes. So, yes. Okay to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It's all right. All right. Sounds like a wrap. See you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you in the streets, bro. Yeah, I'll be nice. calling you. Is it dinner on you, you said? <laughs> hey, when I get out there. <laughs>That was an excerpt from the Uncuffed podcast made by the crew at San Quentin State Prison. Greg Eskridge, Anthony Carvalho, Brian Acey, Timothy Hicks, Steve Brooks, and Juan Haynes. Our work in prisons is supported by the California Arts Council and the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. The producers fact-check content to the best of their ability, and all content is approved by an information officer. You can hear more by subscribing to Uncuffed on your podcast player. Tune in tomorrow morning at 11. Many Black folks say they never heard the words, I love you, growing up, but still felt the love every day. I don't remember my mother saying it, but she was affectionate. She always wanted to kiss you and hug you, and I used to hate that. Black expressions of love, tomorrow morning at 11. Today's Cross Currents team includes Sandra Halliday, Alastair Boone, James Rollins, Ghanadi Joe Johnson, Victor Tense, Shireen Adil, Lisa Morehouse, Marissa Ortega-Welch, Suni Khalid, Angela Johnston, and Ben Trefney. Our opening theme music is by the John Santos Quintet, as interpreted by Daoud Anthony. For Cross Currents, I'm Hannah Baba.